0: solace church today we're going to talk about in this series called rules of engagement how to have an affair I want to sit down this morning because I recognize that the subject material today is going to be quite heavy and I want to want to have a conversation with you I want to I want to just speak as a pastor who has walked this journey with dozens and dozens of couples I recognize today that there may be some in the room, even this morning, that as I speak, you'll see yourself in this process. Here's my prayer more than anything else. My prayer is that light would shine into darkness today and that, that we would respond to the light as God calls us to respond to the light. This morning, I recognize, as we've already said in previous weeks, that that two individual people who are unique and oftentimes very broken, joining together their lives and trying to to connect and trying to do life together is a very difficult thing. And there are times along the way in the midst of a marriage relationship where there is distance that's created. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it's just the drift. Sometimes it's the busyness of life. And in a marriage relationship, oftentimes there is a place in the relationship that is very dangerous for the couple ...to get to, and I'll explain to you what that looks like in a moment. But because I recognize it is widespread, I felt like it's important for us to understand the progression of what it looks like... ...to drift from my spouse to actually engaging in a full-blown affair with someone else. I want to concede one point, though, before we get started. I recognize that what I'm going to describe to you is uh, the the kind of the methodical step-by-step process of having an affair... But here's the concession. I recognize that affairs can happen almost overnight. I recognize that no one literally wakes up in the morning and says, I think I'll have an affair. But sometimes it's true that people can go on a business trip. And, you know, even inside the church this is true, that someone might go on a business trip with a coworker, or they might go on a trip, and they might sit down at a bar and they might drink, and they might lose the ability to control inhibitions, and they might give themselves over in an inappropriate relationship. And so it may not take months and months and months. It may literally happen overnight. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to talk to you about that specific situation. I going to talk to you about the longer process that unfolds. Before I do that, though, I want to I point you to Scripture. Because Proverbs chapter 5, 6, and 7 do an incredible job speaking to the idea of adultery. And one of the things I love about the text, and this is not the only place that adultery is talked about in the book of Proverbs or in the Bible entirely. But in these three chapters, it's very clear that, that Proverbs is seeking to communicate the dangers of adultery. And So I want to read to you, before we talk about these steps, one half of chapter 6, the last half. Because it's almost as if the writer here is trying to communicate The urgency of understanding how severe adultery can be. The consequences of an affair. So just listen to the words. Verse number 20 of chapter 6. It won't be on your screen. You can just listen or follow along with me. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light, and the corrections of discipline are the way to life. Keeping you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty, or let her captivate you with her eyes. Verse 27, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he is starving. Yet if uh, if he is caught, he must pay sevenfold, though it costs him all the wealth of his house. But... A man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does so destroys himself. Blows and disgrace are his lot and his shame will never be wiped away. For jealousy arouses a husband's fury. And he will show no mercy when he takes revenge. He will not accept any compensation. He will refuse the bribe, however great it is. Do you see the wisdom here? Pay attention to your mommy and daddy. They know you well. They'll speak life into you if you will listen. You will do well to honor what they say because there'll come a point in your life where you will be tempted to go outside of your marriage relationship and find someone else. My son, my daughter, heed their warning. If you give yourself over in adultery, it will be a a wound that lasts a lifetime. And you think it looks good now, but the consequences are dire. Avoid it at all costs. Do you see the heaviness? One of the most amazing things about going through an affair, though, is the fact that we deceive ourselves into believing that this is not true. I want to show you what the self-deception looks like as we walk through. And what I'm going to give you today, and this will be on your screen, are the 12 steps to having an affair. Twelve Steps to Having an Affair. Now, Tommy Nelson, who I referenced just uh, last week in his, in his series on Song of Solomon, talks about the ease with which we have an affair or commit adultery. And he lists out, this. I think there's six or seven E's that he goes through. And there's other versions of this as well. But these are the twelve steps that I think fit best into the conversation I felt like God was leading me to have with you this morning. Step number one in how to have an affair is Readiness. Readiness is that point in a marriage relationship where one or both of the of the spouses begin to drift away and apart emotionally from their spouse. There's a point at which it, the relationship turns from health to brokenness. And it's not an overnight moment, but oftentimes it's gradual in its progression. But it's that time in a relationship where the husband and wife just don't feel connected. Um, you know, the husband's need is not being met uh, the wife's needs are not being met. And so they began to, be, they began to wonder, is, did I marry the right person? What's wrong with us? They began to look around at other relationships and they don't see the kind of dysfunction or brokenness maybe they're experiencing. And they began to wonder, am I in the right place and with the right person? Now, I would suggest to you that every marriage goes through this period at some point in the relationship. Every marriage goes through a point where there is distance that's created and one or both of the spouses are vulnerable to engaging in a relationship with someone else outside the relationship. I say this every time I do premarital coaching. At the very end of premarital coaching, I will look at the husband and the wife and I will say this to them. I'll say, wife, Your husband has very specific needs, which we've already covered in this coaching. And hear me, if you do not meet those needs, he will be tempted to look outside of the relationship for someone to meet those needs. And I look at the husband and I say, I'm not giving you permission to go outside the relationship. And I'm not giving you excuse to go outside the relationship. I'm just telling you that's reality. And I look at the husband and I say, your wife has specific needs and we've talked about them. And if you do not meet those needs, she will be tempted to go outside of the relationship to have those needs met. And I look at the wife and I say, I'm not giving you permission to, and I'm not excusing the behavior. I'm just saying that's the reality of the world we live in. The readiness stage is that period in which our heart becomes vulnerable to someone else. Step number two in the the, the process of having an affair is what's called alertness. In this stage, there is someone that captures your attention. Here's the truth. In the circles of relationships that we run in, at work, at church, at school, in sports, in our communities, in all of these circles, there are people who are attractive. Now, I recognize there's some guys here who work with like six or seven other dudes, and maybe for you and your work, that's not the place. But somewhere along the way, there is someone that's attractive to you. And there's nothing wrong in and of itself with working or engaging with or being in community with attractive people. You can't avoid that. And sometimes that attraction is physical. You admire the beauty of someone. And sometimes it's the way they communicate or their personality that draws you in. And there's nothing wrong with, with appreciating someone else's uh, uh, attractiveness in and of themselves. The danger is when the readiness stage has already happened in your heart. And so all of those people who you, you know, might admire for their attractiveness innocently, now all of a sudden one of them becomes very interesting to you. You, you look at them a little bit differently. You see them as attractive in a little bit of a different way, like you haven't before. And, and there's a spark. There's something that begins to be stirred within you that says, I would like to know them a little bit better. In this stage of alertness, it's often true that, 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 that the person who finds that someone attractive begins to have just some thoughts, some, some thoughts in fantasy land about what it would look like to kind of connect with them more at a deeper level. At the alertness level, as this progresses, those thoughts turn from what would it look like to hang with them to, quite honestly, sometimes it even turns sexual. What would it look like to be sexually uh, attracted to them or sexually engaged with them? It's very early on, the mind begins to wonder, what would it look like for me to be with them? The alertness level is a dangerous level. And I just want to warn you as your pastor, this is only step two, but I want to warn you today, you know in your heart and I know in my heart when that relationship pivots from innocence, I can appreciate who you are, to desire, I want to know more. Step two, alertness. Step three is what's called innocent meeting. If you're engaged with people in the workplace, in the church, in community, at sports, at school, wherever it might be, it's inevitable that, it, that you're going to have to engage in conversation with them. And the innocent meeting stage, stage three, is this period of time that's truly innocent. You have to be with them. Maybe you sit by them at a sporting activity because those are the seats that are available. Or maybe you're just working in church with them or in a ministry with them. Or maybe your job demands that you're in conversations with them or in community with them. These are innocent meetings. And you've had these innocent meetings before. But for some reason, because you've gone through step one and two, those meetings which on the surface are innocent now become an opportunity for you to live out part of your fantasy, which is to get to know them better. And so in step three, these innocent meetings take on a whole new situation. One of the things that begins to happen in this stage is prolonged eye contact. Where before you could search throughout the room and it wouldn't be any big deal, but now when you get to that person and your eyes land at them, they stay longer than you know that they should because you want to know them more. Innocent meetings create the opportunity for emotional connection to happen and ultimately for these beginning stages of connection to start to develop. The innocent meeting stage is truly that. And here's the deal. You can't avoid necessarily these innocent meetings. And at this point, hearing, you don't even think you need to avoid them. Because self-deception is now beginning to take hold. And you're like, well, we have to be together anyway. I can't stop working with this person. I can't take my son off that team. I can't take my son out of school. We have to interact with one another. By the way, happens inside the church as well. I'm doing ministry with this person. It's innocent. We both love Jesus. We both love doing this kind of ministry together. I can't stop. I would be dishonoring God. Self-deception. The fourth stage in this process is called intentional meetings. Innocent meetings happen because they have to. Intentional meetings happen because you plan for them to. In this stage of the affair, what takes place is is that all those opportunities that were random and innocent before, now you begin to craft so that they appear innocent but are now on purpose. And you begin to make sure you're working with that person in right environments, or you're on that sports team doing that specific task that has to be done, or you're in that church doing that ministry at that time with that person because, hey, we just have to do it. Now you're planning. And the self-deception is this. You ready? The self-deception is, you know what? I just like being around this person. We work well together. We connect. We get things done when we're together. You know what? When we team up, it's a great experience. It's the intentional meetings that still on the surface look innocent. At this stage in the affair, most people don't know what's going on. Your spouse may feel distant from the marriage, but they don't know the progression that's going on in your heart. And so there may or may not be some questions here, but your mind begins to run. The fantasies begin to become more real. It's very likely in these initial stages that you begin to dream about this other person. Oftentimes, these dreams are... are, It's kind of like fuel for the fire for you in this process. Intentional meetings. In this period of time... Um, the excitement of sexual attraction begins to present itself. When you're with them, you're drawn to them. Step number five in the process of how to have an affair is called public lingering. The public lingering stage is when you find yourself in the public arena with this person... But in your mind and in your heart, you shut out the rest of the individuals in the room and your focus is on this person. And it just so happens that you find yourself near them in public squares and in public places. The rest of of the people in the room may or may not yet know what's going on, although they're probably getting a whiff at this point. But you just happen to be right next to them in public. So the public lingering means in those public places you begin to stare and you begin to smile. And you begin to laugh at their jokes because they're they're just so funny. Even though they're probably not that funny and they've never been funny before, at this point they become hilariously funny. Public lingering is that stage where maybe your spouse begins to wonder, why do you always hang out there? Why do you always go there? Why are you always near them? They begin to wonder, what's up? It's in this phase, at this point, step four, step five, and I'll explain step six in a moment, that text messages begin to be exchanged in a whole different light. While you may have been exchanging text messages before, the text messages shift to different conversations. Um, the 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 interaction becomes way more personal at this point. It's not business. It's not accomplishing something. Now it's connecting. Public lingering. Step number seven is called private lingering. In this phase, the, the, the public lingering turns to private in this way. The, 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 the atmosphere where everyone is involved and everyone is, is there, you know, in that environment you're connecting. But it just so happens by random chance and no purpose of your own, sarcasm included, that you two just happen to stay longer than anyone else does at the event. I just needed to stay and I just, you know, I was just enjoying myself so much. And it just so happens that this other person that that I just found interesting happened to stay along as well. And you stay in those environments and you create opportunities to connect. So once the mass is dismissed, you're still hanging around one another. Again, the jokes become even more funny. The gaze is longer, the interaction more personal. The conversation soon turns from transactional details, you know, getting the things done to now like how's your life and what's going on. In the private lingering stage, this is a very dangerous stage, and I just want you to hear me as your pastor. Hear me. This is the moment, step six and seven, that an emotional affair begins. Everything previous to this can truly be chalked up to trying to just you know trying to, uh, to process and deal with this relationship, and maybe you haven 't crossed any lines, and maybe there hasn 't been inappropriate an conversations, and maybe all your text messages have been pure, and maybe it 's true that you had to have all those meetings with that person at this point is when emotional fear begins. so next on the list is, pro- is purposeful isolating in this part of the journey. People began uh, the, the, the man and woman began to plan the time alone for legitimate purposes. Again, in this stage, the, the, the meetings still look on their surface legit. But you come up with a reason to have to swing by their house. You come up with a reason to have to go back to work. You come up with a reason to go to that place. That they're, you come up with a reason to ride in that car with that person to that place. It's intentional now, purposeful, isolating yourselves for one another. In this period of time, what's amazing is self-deception is still very much a reality. Because here's what you're thinking, ready? You're thinking, well, you know, we, just, we have to get things done and we have to do this together. And by the way, I just simply enjoy being around them. And ready? And you know what? My husband doesn't, get, husband doesn't get me like this person does. And my wife, she just doesn't understand me like this person does. And so what if I'm around someone that actually does like me and does get me? And so what that they're meeting some small need within me, you know? We're just doing life together, so don't worry about us. The husband or wife at this point is beginning to get worried. They see the interaction at this point. They begin to ask the questions, what's going on? What's going on with you? At this point, self-deception is still very much a reality. But something very interesting happens at the purposeful isolating period. This is where the conversation goes from, from, from fairly deep to really deep. And you begin to maybe even say stuff like this, man, you know what? My husband just doesn't get me like you do. I, I you know why I, I wish that we would have had a chance to meet before. You're the kind of person I'd really like to like to have been with, you know. And I you know why I, I my, my we just you know we just don't get at each other. My husband and I, my wife and I. Conversations deepen. Step number eight is pleasurable isolating. Now in these meetings, you've gone from just having the conversation of, you meet my need, thank you, or my husband or wife doesn't meet my need, and I'm disappointed by that. It's gone from the conversation now to touching. And this is a very interesting stage in the journey of having an affair. In this stage, the man and woman, when they're spending time together, now begin to touch one another. There's are shared experiences together of excitement, and, and it's almost like they become kids again. It's very possible in this stage of pleasurable isolating that there are, there's tickling and there's wrestling. And you'd be like, come on. That's so childish. It is. But there's something about the euphoria of connecting with someone at this this level that draws you in. Hear me. Hear me. The affair process wants to run the full course in you. Sin is not satisfied with partial fulfillment. Sin wants ultimate fulfillment. And the reason why these people begin to touch in in, in appropriate ways, although they may not recognize it yet, is because emotional connection draws you into physical connection. So these individuals who would never have considered tickling or wrestling at this point are now beginning to be connected at a different level. They touch, they bump into one another, they happen to just physically touch one another on a regular basis now. Again, rationalization runs the day. So what if I enjoy a special touch? It's no big deal. It's still innocent. Step number nine takes it to the next level. It's called affectionate embracing. In this phase, again, the childish games begin to tick up up even more. Longer, longer touching. Oftentimes hugging. In ministry, hear me, in ministry, the appropriate hug is the one-arm hug. Okay? It's the right way to hug. And if, you know, if, if it's grandma and you do two-arm two hugs, it's okay, all right? If I hug grandma, don't freak out, right? That's totally okay. But one-arm hug is mostly appropriate. Hear me, when you get to this stage in the game, it's full hugging. Oftentimes, even in this stage, you might even have shared a kiss at this point. Maybe it's a kiss on a cheek. And you know what Paul said? Paul said, greet each other with a kiss. And so I have to kiss you. That's all, I have to do it, right? Self-deception, believing that what I'm doing is not wrong finally in, in in number ten, step number ten, it's called passionate embracing in this, stu- in this stage, again, the sexual tension is so high that you are engaging in sexual type touching with one another you're enjoying the the, the physical features of one another as you embrace one another. You know what's amazing to me in my research just blew me away, but at stage ten. People sit, still believe the lie that this stage is not dishonoring at all in their marriage relationship. They believe they haven't crossed any lines at this point. That this still is okay. That they're just again, there's you know, the, the, we're just friends, and we're you know, we just you know, we just like each other as friends, and there's nothing more going on. Still, self-deception. You know, it's very interesting that it happens as this thing progresses: text messages and phone calls and meetings get interrupted abruptly. During these stages between 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, it's often, it's often true that the spouse involved in this begins to delete texts, hide their phone, uh, abruptly end conversations. When the two people involved in the potential affair that's leading up to this now, when they're together, that when a spouse or someone uh, else walks in, they abruptly end the conversation because you know they wouldn't want anyone knowing what's really going on. There's this ending, and a lot of people, most people, begin to connect the dots somewhere between seven, eight, nine, and certainly in 10. But 10 is not a full-blown affair. And to this point, I'm still deceived about where I am in this journey. Step 11, however, things change. It's called capitulation, and that's the moment of sexual intercourse. As I said earlier, sin is never satisfied with just partial. Sin wants all. And so at this point in capitulation, sexual intercourse happens. And no longer, hear me, no longer can you deny what is reality. The couple comes to terms with the fact that they've given themselves over. And by the way, steps 6 through 10 can happen in a matter of days, weeks, months, or year, depending on how strong you are and how great your willpower is. But if, you, know, you can give yourself over in a matter of moments or a matter of months, but this is the process that people go to, to capitulation. The act of adultery fully is finalized within the life of these two individuals. And then step 12 happens, which is acceptance. At this stage in the journey, acceptance is, is inevitable. But in my study, I found a fascinating reality. I think the website was marriagebuilders.com. In my research, one of the things that they have found and discovered about affairs is that most affairs end quietly. That means that most affairs are never discovered. And one of the reasons why they say that affairs aren't discovered and they end quietly is because the spouse involved does not want to hurt their other spouse, so they never tell. And they live with an incredible amount of guilt and shame and regret, oftentimes going into deep depression because of that. But the truth is, oftentimes the the affair is found out. Eventually there is the discovery of the affair and now a decision has to be made. And hear me, church, you don't want to be in a place where you have to make the decision on step 12. Because on step 12, you have to make the decision. Am I going to try to salvage my marriage or am I going to give myself over to this new relationship. Do you know what? That relationship, that, that decision is almost impossible in that stage. You need someone outside of you speaking into you in that stage. And here's why you ready because your marriage is boring and your marriage doesn't work and you married the wrong person. And here this person is. And the, you know, the, the, the sex was great and it was exciting and it was passionate and like never before in your marriage. And you connect with this person like never before. And you think, and I think, and we think, that that's where it's at, and that's what the marriage is going to look like moving forward. And even in acceptance, we deceive ourselves into believing that that reality can be maintained. Hear me. Sin is fun for a season, but it always has devastating consequences. Sometimes people believe that if I marry the person that I had the affair with, that you know I kind of redeem all this brokenness, but hear me. Statistics prove that 80% of marriages who, uh, who got their start end the affair, end in divorce. 80% end in divorce. So here's the process of having an affair, steps one through 12. And here's my question to you today. Can you see yourself in any of those steps? It's very likely in the room right now there is someone, maybe many of us, maybe several of us, you may be on step one or you may be on step two through 10. If that's you here today, before you go any further down that road, I want to close by reading to you Proverbs chapter 5. Because Proverbs chapter 5 is the most clear passage of Scripture in the entire Bible as to what's at stake if you give yourself away in this. Proverbs chapter 5, I'll read it to you. It won't be on the screen. Just listen. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight.